You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. So I'm kind of in the middle of the weather. I don't know why they say under the weather. That kind of means like you're looking up at the clouds. I'm right in the lightning strikes right now. So so I'll do my best not to cough and hack into the microphone. Just wanted to warn you ahead of time. Um, when you get my age, colds last 33 years for some reason. Anyway, so before we... Um, before we open up, let's let's open in prayer. Father, we're thankful that that you bring to us every day through the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives insight in how to in how to live for Jesus Christ through your Word and through your direction. And this morning, as we we look more into how you your desire to build the church and your well, not just desire, you're doing that, but in, and the way you use your your uh, your instruments, the instruments of your love, your children. We want to be those instruments every day that we might help you, cause you, be be used by you, I should say, to further the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ in this world, to bring people into the into the church, those who would be of the saved. We thank you that, that we can be used by you to do this and that all of us have an important and, and an effective ministry at your direction, the wise architect and master builder. And so we, we give you this morning and ask you to instruct us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to be asking some questions this morning. Are there any gardeners? I know Jim's ones, but any gardeners in the room? People who know what they're doing? No, no, come on. This is no time to be, this is no time to be humble. <laughs> okay, guard, yeah, okay, got it. Okay, so I'll be asking you some questions. And then, and then, and, and they'll be easy for you if you're, you, you know what you're doing. So, but I don't. I mean, when I plant stuff, basically what I'm doing is burying things. Um, are there any carpenters, architects, carpenters in the room? I know Ron's one, and okay, and Pat, and, and Luke, good for you. And so I'll be asking you some questions, and, uh, when, when, when you give your answers, if you could speak fairly loudly, and I'll lean forward, but if not, I'll repeat your answers. I think they're going to be instructive this morning as we talk about planting and watering and building uh, and architecture. And Paul, Paul begins to use a number of metaphors. Well, he's, he's a master of the metaphor and the analogy. And in this section of, of um, 1 Corinthians, He's going to use an analogy of gardening and of building. And it's, it's just remarkable how he develops the analogies <laughs> and how applicable they are throughout the centuries. Because the way you plant today, in most cases, is identical to the way, the, the way you planted 2,000 years ago, other than that there are mechanical means that can make it faster. But the same concepts are used, the same processes are observed, the same things happen, happen to the plant, to the seed. The same with building. It's, it, we may have a, an advantage in 
quantity, but I don't know that we have an advantage in quality when you look at some of the stuff that's lasted, that was built thousands of years ago and is still standing. Um, And we'll talk about that, how careful we must be when we build on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, and what that carefulness means. So let's let's start by reading chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, page 1474. 1 Corinthians 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. As to babes in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am a Paul, and I and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers in For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, that which which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Let's Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become foolish that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are useless. So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, or things present, or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So, last week we left off with the concept that the one who plants and the one who waters are not, as, are not, are not the important thing, but the, rather the one who causes the growth, which is God Himself. And we were reminded that uh, God will not share His glory. And this is what we ended up with. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness, because of your truth. And then Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. For my own sake, Isaiah 48, 11, for my own sake I will act. For how can my name be profaned in my glory? I will not give to another. And last that we presented last week, John 15:5. Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I am him. He bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So now, he's going to talk about the planting and the watering and the reward. 
So now I have a question for you gardeners. Which is more important, the planting or the watering? Pardon me? The watering. What if you forgot to plant and you're watering faithfully? Every day. Two weeks later you notice nothing's happening. So, was the planting important? Is it more important? I think what Paul's getting at here is that they're equally important. If you plant and don't water, you've just been burying little round things. And that's fun. Go ahead and bury marbles. Or your old earrings you don't use anymore. Or ball bearings out of a destroyed transmission bearing. That'll be fun. Maybe you can grow a gear tree. I don't think that's going to happen. But Paul says, he who plants and he who waters are one but each will receive his own reward. I think what he's getting at here is the planting and the watering are equally important lest we begin to think as people that the guys up here in front, they're the most important. If we didn't have them, the church would fail. Not so. Everybody's important. Who, who feeds the army? The unimportant cooks, right? Oh my. <laughs> the army's not going to say that. The unimportant cooks? Who said that? Let's plant him with those ball bearings. Pardon me? Everyone who does the work of God is important to His work. Everyone. As long as we all remember that it is He who causes the increase that is premier, preeminent, the most, the, emin- the preeminent one, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father, the Holy Spirit. Whether one is standing in front of others teaching and preaching, or whether it is the one who does the necessary work to free that person up to teach and preach, all are equally important. He who plants, he who waters, they are one. They are equal. They are valuable. And, and, but we don't do that. We don't do that in our world today. We, meet, we think the quarterback's more important. He's the most valuable guy on the team. Take the front line away and let's see what happens. He becomes meat, pounded into the ground every single time the ball is hiked. Every single time. Unless he could just run back and throw it and, and duck. That's maybe not a great analogy, but it's, it's, a, it's a fairly effective one to those of you who watch football. Especially if you're not a Green Bay fan. Okay, well. Anyway, I'm not even getting... Oh, I better not use that one anymore, should I? Okay, this is Seattle. Pardon me. No. Yeah, this is Seattle country. I, I realize that. Okay. Whether it's one standing in front of others teaching and preaching or one who frees him up, all are equally important. The receiving of rewards will be based upon their labor. That is their, and their heart attitude. Someone in a wheelchair who gives themselves to the labor of prayer is equally precious and maybe even more, well, I won't say that, equally precious and important in the eyes of God as someone who stands up and spends time teaching the Word of God. The idea is that each will receive his own reward in relationship to his labor. Remember the widow's mite? That's an excellent analogy here. She gave, compared to the Bill Gates of the day, she gave nothing. But compared to what she had, she gave everything. And that's what God saw. That's what the Father saw. What she gave. Why she gave it. How she gave it. 
The idea is that each will receive his reward in relationship to his labor. When Christ calls you to give a cup of water and you do it willingly, delightedly, humbly, and joyfully, and maybe even quickly, the guy's really thirsty, that labor will indeed be rewarded, especially based upon the attitude and the love communicated. The Bible is replete with scriptures about the reward of the saints. And we're going to talk about this again in, in pretty soon. But um, the first one, there's a whole, I mean, I found, I just grabbed 21 scriptures related to the rewards that come. And again, the hard attitude, we're not working for the rewards. We're working for the rewarder, for his glory, for his delight, for his encouragement, if you will. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward. Are you sowing righteousness? Proverbs 12.24, the hand of the diligent will rule, but the slack hand will be put to forced labor. Those who are diligent will be the rulers. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? But the Lord, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds, according to the labor, according to what you put into it. And then Matthew 6.6, but you, when you pray... Pray that your computer will not act up in the middle of a presentation. Matthew 6, 6. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Attitude. Heart. His master said to him in Matthew 25, 21, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. Faithful with a few things. And I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. I never really paid attention to that one over the years. Enter into the reward. Enter into the work. Enter into the household of your master. No, it says enter into the joy. You've made the master joyful. And he's saying enter into that joy. Luke 6.38 Give and it will be given to you. They will pour it into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. For by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. John 15:5. Again, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then John 5:15:7. If you abide in me, live in and work through the Lord Jesus Christ. My words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Romans 2:6. God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. Uh, a few more. 2 Corinthians 2:9. But just as it is written, things which I has not seen, nor... 1 Corinthians 2.9 Nor ear has not and ear is not heard and which have not entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. I believe much of that he's talking about here as well. 1 Corinthians 9.24-25 Do you not know that those who run in a race all run but only one receives the prize? Well, not today. <laughs> but properly, properly only one should receive the prize. Everybody gets a trophy nowadays. <clears throat> Everyone who competes in the games, run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games, exercise and self-control in all things, they then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, this is for our hope, that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. He's like he's reminding us what the reward is for. It's for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the last one, I think that's the last one I have. Um, 
1 Thessalonians 2.19. For who is our hope or joy or our crown of exaltation? Is it not even you? In the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Just I have one more. And we'll finish up on rewards with this for, for the time being. 2 Timothy 4.8 In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the righteous judge, the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Do you love His appearing? Are you looking for it? Looking forward to it? Even if it was today? The older you get, it's in... That's an interesting thing. I always heard that in my young life as a years ago as a young Christian. I didn't recognize really what that meant when I was in my 30s, 20s. But the older I get, the more excited I am about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's going to be a glorious thing. He will receive all the praise He has deserved for three, for six millennia. He has deserved it and He hasn't forced it, but He deserves it. <clears throat> Hebrews 11.6 And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he, come, he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. James 1.12 Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved he will receive a reward. The crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love Him. 1 Peter 5.4 And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. 1 Peter 5.6 Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you at the proper time. And Revelation 2.10, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for ten days. But be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life, said the Lord Jesus Christ, to those who would go through difficult, difficult times. Our God is not a pauper with nothing to give to His faithful children. The fact is, the rewards and blessings that He has waiting for us far exceed anything we can imagine and far exceed the troubles and the difficulties we've gone through here. Do you believe that? He said so. Has he ever been wrong? He's never been wrong. Track records are important. Scripture is important. We deserve nothing, and yet he has prepared for us everything. The rewards are given according to the labor. Note that. They are not given according to gifts, talent, or success, especially in the terms that man defines success. God always rewards the heart. He rewards the effort, the diligence, and the love that is put into the work that He has given us. I am convinced that He is as delighted with the efforts of a mother diligently and lovingly training her children as He is with the powerful and influential standing in front of millions with their great oratory. Maybe if the heart is wrong with that person, He is more delighted with with the mother. If that mother puts loving effort into the faithful rearing of her children to serve the eternal God, he will return great reward for that. While the loudspeaker in front of millions, especially if his speaking is the result of some gift that God has bestowed upon him, but is not attended by love and faithfulness, he will receive very little. One commentator said this, uh, The faithful, laborious minister or missionary who labors in obscurity and without apparent fruit will meet a reward far beyond that of those who, with less self-denial and effort, are made the instruments of great results. What that commentator was saying is, the person who puts him, pours himself into the work that Jesus has called him to, and his work seems to have met with no earthly definition of success and result, will receive far more reward than someone who was given a gift, 
of whatever, oratory, teaching, and with far less effort and far less devotion, far less humility, put himself into it and had what appeared to be great success. When you look at some of the televangelists, some of these churches that are, that are and, and I'm not denigrating, it's not wrong to be a big church. If it's in service to the Lord, if the scriptures are faithfully taught, I don't care if the body is three or 30,000. That will be rewarded. But when it's just a numbers thing, we're bigger, we're better. It means nothing to the Father. It means nothing to the Father. What means something to the Father is the heart of His servants who love Him. And they're doing what they're doing faithfully, delightedly. Sometimes not delightedly, sometimes by duty, but brought back loving what they do for the Father every day. Put your heart into what you do. Actually, there was a... G. Morgan Campbell was a great preacher. And uh, uh, a couple of aspiring young preachers asked him, what was the secret to his amazing preacher? Here's what he said. Here's, he said this. I always say to people who come to me and ask me what, my, what the success is, work, hard work, and again, work. Is the work of God sometimes work? It's okay to nod your head. Sometimes it is. And, and is there t- are there times when you're at work and you're doing what it is that you do for a living and it's a bit of a drudgery, but you do it as well as you can anyway? That's a good thing. That's a good thing. God, God is delighted with that. Put your heart into what you do. Love those whom you serve. Pray for those whom you've been called to minister to, to tend. Do not work for the reward. They'll work for the rewarder. So, any comments or questions about verse 8? which I probably should have read before I launched into it. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his labor as a result of in, in relationship to. Any comments? For we are God's fellow workers. You, he says, are God's building. God's field, God's building. Now he's going he's to develop two analogies. So I'll be asking some more gardening and, and building questions. With typical Pauline humility, and rightly so, Paul identifies with Apollos, we, he said, as a fellow worker, and both of them got their direction from God himself. He then calls the Corinthians God's field, or God's building, both giving a a visual of husbandry or construction, and or construction. The word translated field is actually a Greek word that means a cultivated field. Right now, in uh, the fall of last year, one of my neighbors, blessed guy, he came to me and said, I'd like to, he, he, he's lived, we've lived there for, my folks lived there since the early 70s. And the field used to produce alfalfa. And it's always bothered me that now what's out there is basically a mixture of Russian knapweed, dandelions, and, and uh, daisies, and stuff that cows go, really? Do you want to see this? You know, that kind of thing. So he came to me and he said, I'll plow your field up and disc it and seed it with, you know, oat hay or alfalfa. And I'll just take the produce for enough time to pay me. And then I said, sure, sure. And as a matter of fact, what I'll do is I'll pay you to buy it back. So this is a field. That's what he's talking about. So he went out there and he spent quite a bit of time plowing it, um, which I can't imagine the amount of time it would have taken with a single single bottom and an ox. He He had a big old cool tractor with like a five bottom plow. Anyway, he plowed it. He dissed it yesterday and the day before, and he's going to come back and plant it. That's what this is talking about. It's a field that has been (coughs) properly prepared, 
made ready for the seed, and then the seed lovingly plants, planted. Um, it's actually, um, let me give you the, it's a cultivated field, husbandry, tillage, uh, cultivation, um, metaphorically an act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, holiness. So the, the ground is plowed up, the person's heart is plowed up. That is done by the Holy Spirit and their study of the Word of God. And then a teacher comes in and, and begins to promote their growth in wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness. And then he talks about a building. Uh, it's also talking about a building in some ways. Or actually, that's the second word. Excuse me. Oikodom. So, a tilled field, cultivation, husbandry. Then, the building, he says, you are God's field, God's building. I kind of got ahead of myself there. The act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian ministry. That's, that's the building word. Sorry. I, I conflated the two. My bad. Field, building. Two different words. Ha! Who would have thought? The original word, let's see, where am I at? Down at the bottom. An act of building, a building, and the, met, the metaphor is a is spiritual advancement or edification. So that's what Paul's saying. He's saying you are our spiritual responsibility. You are what we are, by God's grace, developing. The word translated um, building, his words are carefully chosen to simulate the idea of unity, by the way, rather than party spirit. Paul and Apollos work together. Why are you saying I am of Apollos and I am of Paul? We're one. We're working together. Did we, remember what he said earlier in the book, in the, in the epistle? Did, did I die to save you? What are you doing? What are you doing? So his words are carefully chosen. They, he's talking about um, he and Apollos are workers together in a field that they tilled together, planted and watered. He planted Apollos watered. Um, in this particular case, the fellow that's doing it all is doing it all, but it could have been done by two or three people. Um, the building that they constructed together in that, or, or, or that the field or that building is a unit and should function in a spirit of cooperation. Imagine if the two-by-fours didn't want to be in the wall. I mean, that's a really weird metaphor. It's like, well, there's a unicorn. But imagine, how well would the building hold up if they could do that? And we'll talk about foundations in a little bit here. I looked up when I was doing this, I looked up poorly constructed foundations. I can't believe what people build on. I saw some stuff I went, I'm not even that dumb. No wonder it lasted 38 seconds. You know, you see buildings. Now, the Leaning Tower of Peace has got nothing on some of these. I mean, you, that's, that's not leaning. Leaning is when you walk into the house and you can go like this and lean on the floor. Yeah, it was really cool. Not cool if you're a builder. Probably you guys, some of you builders, if you look at that, you'd have had an apoplexy. Okay, so one, one modern church commentator put this. He talked about this way. He said this, I belong to Paul, quote. I belong to Apollos, quote. Familiar cries in a world of high-tech religion. See huge Sunday crowds squint under the glare of spotlights as their preachers dazzle millions of electronic viewers with wisdom and rhetorical charm. Overhear the Christian public admire TV evangelists and big-time clergy. Well, I like to listen to, oh yeah, well, oh, he's okay, but I like fill in the blank. Yes, everyone has their favorite preacher nowadays. In spite of all the notorious hucksters, preaching religion is in. The result? An increasingly fragmented churches. I belong to Paul and you don't. 
it's enough to make Corinth look tame by comparison. And, and I haven't spent any time, I don't have a television, but from what I understand, when you go on, they're still there. I remember when I was a kid and I used to, to, to work in a motel with my grandmother here and make beds and stuff. During the time we were making them, we would turn on the TV and I would make the beds and sweep the floors and vacuum the floors. And, and we would watch some of the stupid soap operas. Even at 10, I knew soap operas were dumb. But I, grandma, really? You know? But we would turn on and sometimes the channel would go to a preacher. And I don't remember their name. This was like 50 years ago. And, but there were rooms full of people listening to them. I didn't know at the time, looking back later, that these were hucksters. They were the kind who would send you a handkerchief that they'd sweat it into and it's supposed to cure you of something, but you've got to send them 20 bucks first. That's the hucksters he's talking about. So, and he said it's enough to make Corinth look tame by comparison. Now, Paul does not intend here to give the idea that the Corinthians were his project. Have you ever felt like that? Somebody had made you their project. They were going to fix you. Husbands do that to wives all the time. At least I know this husband has done that. If I could just get her to be this way or just get her to be that way, life would be zingingly wonderful. Oh, my. Actually, one man put it this way. He said, um, if both of you were the same, one of you would be unnecessary. Why would I want to, to create a clone of myself? And I finally learned not to. But they were not his project. Far from that. He continually refers to the Corinthians as his brethren and his beloved. When it is our privilege to work in God's field, the church, we must till it with love, compassion, and care. Especially individual love, compassion, and care. People should never feel as though they are a project of ours. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and each of us carries our own load in building, if you will, the church of God. Now, we know, we know that God builds his own church. But he does use human instruments in the accomplishment of that. Let's not just be hammer swingers or plows. The picture actually is much softer and brings it with, with it the idea of loving care. Uh, and indeed, that is just what Christ did when he came to this earth. He did not come down to finish another project the Father had assigned him. He came down to serve, as it says in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve diakonos. The, the working about in such a manner that he stirred up dust by virtue of his activity in service of the ones he came to serve. He came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's not a project. That's a beloved. Any comments about verse 9? We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building, as he starts this analogy. Okay. So then verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given to me like a, a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. So Paul says, I laid the foundation and another is building on it. P Apollos was their pastor. He was building on it. Please, he's saying, OK, I laid the foundation. Foundations, you're going to see what he's talking about here. He's going to say the foundation is what is important. First of all, it was the. The, 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 the God who gives the growth in the garden. Now in the building, it's the foundation. We're going to find out who, not what, but who the foundation is. Paul, everything Paul did, indeed everything anybody who is 
a child of God does, is by grace. The grace was given to him and the Holy Spirit worked through him to lay a proper foundation. The foundation is directly underneath what we have in the writings of the Gospels, Paul, Peter, and the other apostles. That foundation, it isn't the Bible, is it? It is actually the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. There's all kinds of good ethical teachings out there. You can get even from Stanford University, I think. I'm getting ahead of myself. So that foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Those who come after, whether it was the Corinthians, the Ephesians, the Thessalonians, or us, must build upon that foundation with care. The word translated careful comes from a Greek word that has the idea of discerning. Uh, to see, to be possessed of sight and have the power of seeing, to perceive by the use of the eyes. It's like what you have to do when you're driving in traffic in Spokane. Or I, like I drove, I've driven through Denver. I understand New York City's bad, but I've never, last time I was there I was five. I, they wouldn't let me drive. Um, but I've driven through Denver and I've driven through Los Angeles. I was terrified. And I was careful. I, I paid very close attention to make sure every decision I made driving at that time wouldn't land us in front of something else that was going to try to kill us. So, the idea is being, is the, it has the idea of discerning and being able to take proper action based upon what one sees. So, when you're building on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be discerning so that you take proper action to build properly on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means it has to be in comport with his teachings, in comport with his person, with his goals, with his ideas, not our own. Paul is cautioning. Actually, it's not a word just about studying or thinking, but rather living. It's a word about living, how you live out the decisions you make. Paul is cautioning his hearers to make proper use. I hate to use that word use, to make use of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't mean it in a demeaning or utilitarian sort of way, but as we're building on the foundation, use, make proper use of the foundation itself, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the sense that when we build upon the teachings of the Christ and the apostles, we must pay close attention to what they taught, lest we stray from that teaching. That's the concern. Now, of course, nobody strays from the teaching of Jesus Christ and the apostles. Actually, it's the opposite. Most do. Wide is the road, and many are thereon. And it's, 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 it, it should be a, a heaviness on us that, that that happens. But he says, take careful, be careful in how you build. If a carpenter does not follow the blueprint, he will end up with something the owner and the architect never intended. Now, there's good carpenters in this room that could probably ignore a blueprint and come up with a good building. But if they ignored the blueprint, what the owner paid for to have built, the beams are going to be in different places, or maybe there won't be open ceilings. Maybe the vaulted ceilings that he had planned are not there. But the room's nice. It's okay. It's just not according to the blueprint. And often, pragmatism looks at the results and says, look, it works. It's nice. It's not according to the blueprint. It's false. It's false. It's not according to the blueprint the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the teachings of his, his, his apostles. The final product, actually, if it's built wrong, though, if, the, if it's a, car, a carpenter who is unable to um, call audibles while he's doing it, it may be dangerous to live in. 
The metaphor is clear and far-reaching to discern mentally, to turn the thoughts or direct the mind to a thing, to consider, to complicate, to contemplate, to look at, to weigh carefully, to examine. Um, anyway, the whole idea, the, we are to take heed to our responsibility in the building of the building on our foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ. As I follow the architect's instructions, my part is done correctly and biblically. While we may be able to assist and encourage one another as we all build together, Paul and Apollos, the final result is God's building. He will reward as he sees fit, and it is his glory that the building is built for. By the way, it's not improper again to work for reward, and I'm not going to go, I just, I'm not, it's kind of a, Attention here, if you will, to, to point out that the Bible talks a lot about reward and yet remind ourselves that we are to work for the rewarder. There's, just to give you an idea, here's how many more I found. Some of them are duplicates, but not all of them. Two pages, three. Okay, we're done. The Father gives us, again, He is rich beyond measure and He wants to give to His children rewards that will delight them but that will give glory to Him. That's what we're working for, to give glory to Him. Do you not know that those who run a race all one run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises, and this is following along with what's happening here in 1 Corinthians, self-control in all things. Self-control. It is the attitude of working towards that reward again that is so important. Why do we want it? Is it so that we can be one better than our Christian neighbor? So that they have to keep up with the Joneses and we don't have to. Is it so that we can promote ourselves? Or is it because we love the Lord and we want to work as hard as possible to get the rewards we can so that we can please Him? Paul's ambition was to please the Lord. So should ours be. He said this in 2 Corinthians 5.9. Therefore, we have as our ambition, strong word, Compulsion to work. Therefore, we have also as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. That's our ambition. A master builder. Um, how many of you have been a general contractor? Okay. So you've been a general and you've been a general. So you're overseeing the subcontractors under you, the plumbers and the electricians and all of that stuff. Okay, and that... In some ways, that can be more difficult than doing all the work yourself. But, uh, so, as anybody here who knows, and I'll build on that in just a minute. <laughs> build, no pun intended. As anybody here knows who has ever built a building, large or small, if you don't get the foundation right, the results will be less than salutary. Um, I have seen large buildings that had an improper foundation laid that years later were falling down. Barns, and in one case, a chicken coop. <laughs> Poor chickens. Uh, Falling down because of that. Paul, by the grace of God, calls himself a wise architect. Today, an architect is responsible mostly for the plans and the execution and getting the proper permits and all of that stuff, although generals do that as well. Um, a general contractor is hired and oversees the actual building. In Paul's day, <coughs> the master, the, the wise, the master architect was responsible for the project from the ground up. From the drawing to handing the key, if you will, to the owner, to the new owner. <clears throat> the planning, the execution, the building, and the, the delivery. Um, and so Paul carefully laid the foundation for this and many other churches that he planted. Um, 
That foundation was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Lest we assume this only means the teachings of the Savior, we are reminded that the second person of the Trinity sent the Holy Spirit to indwell all believers. That's part of the building. Part of the activity that goes on in the building. It's part of the foundation, if you will. When one is truly and wonderfully saved, he is indwelt by the author of the words of Jesus. Remember, I, I talked about this before. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have the, the author of the Constitution standing next to us? Well, here's what we debated. Here's how we came to this conclusion. We have the author of the Word of God indwelling us. And so it's not just the words of the Scripture we turn to, but the author as well, based on the words of Scripture. This foundation is perfect and cannot be improved upon. It cannot be improved upon, no matter how many TV hours you have. Teachers of the Bible would do well to stick with that, to stick with the Lord Jesus Christ as the foundation and not the pragmatic methods that are used today, seeker-sensitive and all of these things that we think are what God intended for us to do as a, as a church body whole, if you will. The foundation is perfect and cannot be improved upon. I'll say it again. Not because of pragmatism, but because of righteousness. The only basis for a life of godliness is the Son of God Himself indwelling the believer. This is what Paul built upon. The Corinthians were trying to build faulty walls that did not match the foundation. Indeed, they may have been trying to build on a different foundation, the foundation of man's wisdom. And is some of what man has come up with pretty cool? It is, isn't it? We can say that. MRIs, CATs, not the feline type. That was an, that was the accident of the day of creation. I know God doesn't make mistakes, but I've always wondered about. Okay, I'm getting off subject. But man has come up with some pretty impressive inventions and creations. That's not what you build on. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. They were building on the philosophies of the time as a foundation. They were trying to use that as their foundation. I am Paul. I am Paulus. Paul said, no, don't build on my foundation. Don't build on me. Build on the Lord Jesus Christ. They would be destined to fail. Um, this is where careful, being careful comes in. All of us from the Corinthians on must take careful heed to how we build on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blueprint is the Bible from ground to final shingle. The blueprint is the Bible from ground to final shingle. Have any of you ever seen, have you looked at blueprints? Blueprints? My brother used to draw them. That's one of the things he did. And we still have a blueprint he drew for a house we were going to build for ourselves decades ago that never happened. And it, they're remarkable when you look at them. Actually, I don't understand how to read them properly. Because he wasn't there. The author wasn't there to help me understand it. But by God's grace, we have the author to understand his blueprint, if you will. Any comments? We're going to look at some foundations here in a minute. But Any comments about verse, verse um, 10? According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. Ooh. We started late. We're done. This is going to be the slowest tie, the fastest tie-up you've ever seen. Don't build unwisely. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this after, for this morning. And we know that you are the architect of everything that has happened in our lives. You are the builder. And by your grace, you have given us everything that is necessary for life and godliness to build 
and to plow and to seed and to, to water. But it's all for you. It's all of you. And we want to give you the glory. And so today, as we, we think about these things, let us be reminded that uh, you have instructed us to be careful how we build. Always come back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Always come back to your word. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.